I, I feel like I'm some combination of like nervous and trying to not think about it too much and feeling like there is no great outcome tomorrow for the left. And that is, that is making me go into this, like in a really different place than some of the folks that I am in conversation with who just, who are like prepared to be like, um, super celebratory if Biden wins. And I certainly, that is the better outcome for sure. Um, but I'm not feeling super celebratory about it. And, um, you know, I'm anticipating that we're getting, to see an uptick in violence regardless of the outcome of the presidential election. And to me, it's like, you know, if Trump wins, I feel like we're going to get this kind of like gleeful gloves off. We can do whatever the fuck we want to do kind of violence that is certainly like blatantly evil and nasty. But then I think there could also be the other end of that, which is also a lot of violence, but from more of a desperation place and like desperate people being violent scares me more than that like gleeful violence thing does even though i think you know a biden win will put us in a better place come you know february march april than a trump win certainly but i i just i'm not really looking forward to tomorrow with anything like joyful anticipation i am super excited for tomorrow to be over <laughs> so we can stop talking about the fact of it mattering a great deal, right? And so the idea that like uh, a Biden win, sure, um, on the surface is slightly better, right? The idea of, um, of uh, you know, not having <laughs> national agents come to your house to execute you is uh, a little bit more exciting than the alternative. Um, however, you know, the idea, I guess the thing for me that's been disappointing and I'm excited to have, uh, have that conversation is the idea that, you know, voting is everything. And once we're done, you know, I've cast my vote and my job is finished. And I pray and I hope, and more than that demand that we do more and that we do better. And so I'm sick of having the conversations about it and I'm ready for that to be done. And for us to start talking about, you know, um, how we fix the country uh, for everyone, right? Uh, this is regardless of who wins, like kind of the the idea of those two choices. Uh, one, we maybe lose a little bit less and we have our right to still protest and our right to hold our uh, elected officials accountable. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited for that, hopefully, uh, but the work remains, the work remains. Yeah, I think that's been the thing that has me having a certain amount of dread is like, I feel like I'm in this sort of like, tentatively okay relationship with a bunch of liberals in my life right now, partly because I showed up in the political process and, you know, like did that thing that people have been demanding of like, well, if you don't like the democratic party, get involved or run for office. And I'm like, okay, check. I did that. Um, and so there are, there's a bunch of people that like, I really disagree with politically who I'm in a pretty good space with right now. And I feel like if Biden wins, that's going to go away because I'm going to be like, okay, here's why this is actually not a terrific outcome. And here's where I want you to not go to sleep and you're going to sleep on me, knock it off. And that that feels like there's a little bit of like, I don't know, like social detente or something that I feel like I've had with some people in my life that I feel like is going to disappear. And given that I've eliminated almost all of the people who have like, gotten to a place of like saying they're going to vote from Trump from my like social media life. 
Um, like, I feel like that's actually going to be a much worse rest of the year for me if Biden wins, because there's going to be this like push for me that's not going to stop and that I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, just go back to sleep now. And so I'm like, not looking forward to that. <laughs> that's my biggest concern too. And be, not because it's a um, perspective concern because it's already happened, right? It's already that I voted and I'm going back on vacation and here's my Halloween pictures and Thanksgiving and we're going to this, this party. You know, I posted something, this was a while ago, just, you know, being critical of the pro-police stance of Biden-Harris and just understanding I am, I'm still abolish the police. Like I'm a, yeah, we vote for Biden, but then also abolish the police. Like I don't change from that stance. And so, you know, when I posted that, there was somebody who immediately said, you know, oh, so you're pro-Trump? Like, well, if you're not, well, you shouldn't be posting this critical of that unless you're pro-Trump. And I, you know, somebody who's known me my entire life and since I was 18 years old is asking this question. And so the idea of, you know, my concern was somebody then, you know, responded with, well, I'm still going to be protesting just as hard when Biden and Harris win. And I said, I hope you're right. And I will hold you to that. And I, my concern is that if the same group of people who is saying we're still going to be protesting Biden-Harris is the same group of people who had the, if Hillary won, we'd be at brunch right now, the chances are slim to none that they will be protesting, right? Because the idea was, you know, if Hillary had won, we wouldn't be having these problems. And so my concern is that those are, those are the people, those are the liberals who Biden won. If Biden wins, then we can go back to brunch. And what I've been saying is I just want people to organize organizing is uniquely harder under uh, a neo-fascist regime than under a neoliberal regime. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that is what guides my, my thing. And I guess to me, like to, to me, the real litmus test of whether or not I want to engage with people politically is whether or not they recognize that. Because, mm -hmm. because they're, because those who think that they, that they would rather organize under a, a neo-fascist regime are typically like talking from a point of view that's very ableist and very privileged, even if 50% of the people that are out doing stuff now fall asleep. Like, I don't know, fucking let them sleep and the rest of us will take care of business. I would rather be doing that than having to deal with a crisis a day, literally a crisis a day uh, that sucks your activist energy from one direction to another. And I just feel like a, a whole lot of left Twitter. And I, I mean, I got the rose on my Twitter. I am, I am who I am. Everyone knows what I believe, but I'm just done with this, this sort of minimization of what, of what this has been like. Uh, in terms of of being an energy, That's my so I'm ready for that to be over. I'm yeah. definitely ready for that to be over. Totally, and I and I agree with like 98% of what you just said. And I also feel like you can have a more nuanced conversation on Twitter about how people are using their votes that. I think is a healthier conversation than what I'm experiencing on Facebook. And so I think though, and I think I'm in different spaces uh, in those two worlds as well. So I don't know if that's inherent to Facebook or not. And if it's like the demographic that uses Facebook versus Twitter, but like, I, like, I think we have differences even among the three of us. Like I actually didn't fill in the Biden bubble. I wrote in Gloria Lariva 
And I did that because I'm in a really safe red state. And I would actually, I think actually the best possible outcome from tomorrow night is that Biden wins decisively and third party candidates also got record amounts of votes. And I'm in one of the places where it actually probably doesn't matter what I do in terms of the, in terms of who's sitting in the White House at the end of January, it doesn't actually matter what I do. And so for me, it's like, you know, when you're in a safe red or a safe blue state, I think that being like thinking about your vote in terms of what's the message that we're sending and what are we long-term building, I think is a reasonable tactic to do. And I sat on my ballot for weeks trying to decide if that was what I was going to do. So like, and I feel like Twitter was a place where like, I could say that and not pay for it for the next four years, you know, where I don't feel like, like I haven't said that on Facebook because I would pay for it for the next four years. And I don't really want to deal with that, you know? And well, I mean, am I editing it out now then? Well, no, I think it's fine to leave it in because I don't, I don't think Facebook. Technically it's going to be on Facebook. The Facebook libs aren't clicking, listen to our podcast. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and yes, maybe somebody's going to. I mean, I think gambling on people not hearing what you just said is kind of a weird you know, I mean, it, it's but, much, right? it's much the same calculus as voting for a third party. I think it, it uh-huh. you know, I mean, I, I don't. Think it's also you, technically, I was going to say, it's also technically how I've been writing my entire podcast, just betting on the fact that no one's listening <laughs> at all. Something that I posted yesterday in response to a Heather Cox Richardson post. So Heather Cox Richardson is uh, a, a fine uh, academic uh, historian who has, uh, and very liberal, who's been writing and posting for, for uh, a few months now, um, and uh, or has gotten a, a, a large following uh, of liberals, and much of her analysis is good in terms of studying institutions. Uh, and I think that she is also ultimately what what makes a lot of people follow her is this sort of desire to return to normalcy, a desire to return to legal and political and institutional normalcy, and a belief that that is what uh, a Biden win is going to represent. And I think part of her narrative is also that the the movement that's around Trump right now and the movement to suppress uh, people electorally uh, and to suppress the vote, etc., is really just about getting Trump reelected and really just about uh, those policies and kind of the and, and sort of uh, the far right uh, taking over the political process, as opposed to I think what's really what's really going on. And so, what's really going on right now, and and the thing that concerns me the most is there's police and mob brutality being deployed against voters. Uh, There's uh, the courts being used as a tactic against voters uh, to decrease uh, voter participation. There's polling stations being closed and limited and shut down. Uh, There's this encouragement of civil unrest. Um, But in my opinion, that's not just an electoral tactic. That is a long game direction being played by the far right. It's not just that they want to suppress the vote. They want to suppress direct action. They want to suppress organizing and they want to suppress empowerment uh, to reinforce uh, hierarchy. And so it's intimidation as a long-term fundamental strategy to discourage organizing. And I think that, uh, that 
that's that is something that liberal analysts kind of fail to see. Yesterday, um, uh, Heather Cox Richardson wrote in her uh, column. I'll just I'll go ahead and just read it. I know it's frightening to hear the stories of Republican leaders trying to get ballots thrown out, the right wing thugs intimidating Biden voters, and so on. But that Republicans feel the need to engage in such tactics, despite their ongoing voter suppression and gerrymandering, is a telltale sign that they know their party has lost any hope of winning a majority of voters, and the only way they can win an election is to cheat that strategy is not sustainable, end quote. And so I disagree. I don't think that that strategy has uh, as much to do with thinking that with anyone thinking they're losing. I don't think that MAGA throngs think that Trump is going to lose. I think they think Trump is going to win. They, they think he's going to win the re-election. Reele- I don't think they're committing violence out of electoral desperation. I think they're committing violence because this is fascism. And they're doing it because they can, and they're doing it because their cop allies have now taken off the mask of being apolitical and are openly embracing Trump. You have cops openly embracing Trump all over the country. Uh, you have white supremacy and violence being used as a tactic against people of color and the left. And this is an acceleration of that. They're doing that because they're angry at the left and they're angry at people of color and they're angry at minorities and even the hint of structural change uh, involved in the present wave of activism. And they're doing that because they know it frightens people and they know that it angers people that they disagree with. And so even if Trump does want to cheat to steal the election so that he can stay out of jail or whatever it is that is motivating him, I think what's motivating these far right people and these cops uh, to to do this these acts of brutality against voters is much more of a long-term thing. I don't think it's about voter suppression. I think it's about human suppression, ongoing effort to establish brutality, interpersonal violence and brutality as the paradigm of right-wing politics. Yeah, well, I think she's actually right. She's just a few decades behind the ball. I mean, I think the Republicans have known that they can't win national elections without cheating for ages, like that's nothing new. But I mean, I I do think that that she is wrong in terms of like what's happening in the present moment. And this to me is like, this is what I mean by gleeful violence. This is the, the caravans of Trump supporters getting together to like shut down highways in different places over the last few days and to just generally be interfering with, you know, people being able to like do their organizing work and get to the polls and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I think this is, I I expect if Trump wins that we will see a lot more of this exact kind of crap. And then it will be that much more clear that like, it wasn't about, it wasn't just about stopping people from getting to the polls. It really is that kind of intimidation tactic that you're talking about. Uh, just continuing to organize is the most important thing. I think the biggest inoculation and the biggest pu- push pushback uh, against the whatever you know the kind of terrible uh, rollbacks that we're seeing and the continuing offensive against marginalized people is to just continue to organize in spaces like DSA and other anti-capitalist groups and to continue to form coalitions, even with people that we don't fully agree with on other parts of the left and other, uh, other parts of the, of the left of center spectrum, uh, and to just continue to remind people that 
that there are tons of things that we can do, like Veronica says, besides just voting uh, in order to see material changes as well as political ones. I just want to say one thing about the violence, uh, just to circle back to what Yana was talking about earlier, kind of like the the two scenarios and then this idea of like gleeful violence. And what I wrote down earlier when you were saying that was um, there's gleeful violence and then there's righteous violence. And so my concern on the other side um, you know, religion, Christians, we've used violence um, for all sorts of righteous, quote unquote, righteous reasons. Um, and so I guess that idea of like, you know, Biden winning and feeling like we're already sort of in a weird hybrid civil war situation right now. And that that on some level, that idea of stand back and stand by, stand by for what, you know, if something is feeling like it's stolen. Um, and so that is the, that's the other, the flip side. And so I guess my heart um, and all of this is this idea that, um, and it may sound very naive and very um, idealistic, but the idea of hurt people hurt people and the idea of healing being a way forward for all people um, and understanding where people's hurt comes from um, and, uh, what can be done to try to heal that trauma, whatever that trauma is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that would be my only other hope as far as like, uh, the counter for all of the possible violence is that there can hopefully be some healing. Yeah. And I think there's that line that you walk between that, like hurt people, hurt people and wanting to you know, acknowledge the trauma and heal that trauma that's driving a lot of it, but then also having like boundaries with the current violence and, you know, and, you know, and I think that is one of the tricky things that our organizing spaces right now is like, how do you ride that line where we're taking care of ourselves, where we're taking care of each other and we're organizing to actually change the systems, like to dismantle the systems of white supremacy and capitalism and, patriarchy and all of those other systems, um, you know, at the same time that we're saying no to being subjected to more of that violence. And, you know, and I think that is the big challenge. And I think that it's, you know, really what this election is going to do is it's going to tell us what the overlay is that we're working um, under, working within to be able to do that work. But the fundamental work I think is the same regardless of the outcome. And, you know, and as Matt says, it would be nice to not be having like crisis du jour, you know, so I'm definitely hoping for one particular outcome tomorrow night. But, um, but I do think that, you know, the sort of trauma informed organizing is probably the thing that is kind of the, the 2021 work 